Kei te whakaronga mai, koe ki nga pātaka kōrero o Tamaki Makoto. You're listening to an Auckland Libraries podcast. For, for heritage to uh, have value, for heritage to matter, you have to have a community there that celebrates it and connects to it. At the end of the day, these things, although they're from the past, they're kind of living and they're carried through to the present and then on to the future, hopefully, if we do our jobs right. Welcome to the Heritage Talks podcast, bringing you the best in family and local history from New Zealand, the Pacific and beyond. Your heritage now. Kia ora koutou. welcome back. Today we continue our series recognising the work of students awarded summer research scholarships by the University of Auckland and supported by the Auckland History Initiative. Isabella Wensley is starting her third year of a Bachelor of Arts in Law in 2020. Her project examines the intersection between Maungakiakia, One Tree Hill, and the surrounding Cornwall Park area, and the different meanings and uses that have been applied to this iconic green space throughout the 20th century. So Aucklanders have always had a special connection to the green spaces that cover our landscape. Each one is tied to a local population, suburbs share the name of the nearest maunga, and each one is easily identifiable. For my summer research project, I chose to focus on one of these spaces, Maunga Kiki, One Tree Hill, and the Cornwall Park area. As one of the most instantly recognisable spaces in Auckland, it has a really rich and varied history. So in order to condense this into a more manageable 12-week project, I picked out four moments in the past in the park's history. So in picking these moments, I wasn't setting out to rewrite the history of the area. Rather, I was using them as a kind of case study to look at how the space, which has become so iconic for Auckland, has evolved and lived through different uses. So the four moments I chose was firstly, the construction of the obelisk in 1930 to 1948. Secondly, the American hospital built in the park during World War II. Thirdly, the creation of the observatory from 1950 to 1960. And finally, the period of Māori activism and the removal of the pine tree in 2000. So, the first moment I chose was the building of the obelisk. So this was originally intended to be a memorial to a supposedly dying Māori race. So the language used at the time is now quite shocking to us. For example, early plans of the obelisk included a statue to a Māori of a Māori chief throwing away his, quote, old-time weapons to grasp the opportunities for a fuller life made possible by the advent of civilization. But due to construction and funding delays, by the time the obelisk was unveiled in 1948, there was a greater awareness of the inappropriateness of this. For example, with one letter saying, we are all glad to think that there is today a very different view of the future of the Māori. After this, reference to the need to memorialise Māori was removed from the monument. So while many Aucklanders today would broadly see the obelisk as kind of representative of Auckland in some way, there is less agreement about what it is specifically supposed to symbolise. So this debate can be boiled down to three main perspectives. Firstly, there's the misconception that it stands as a memorial to Sir John Logan Campbell. You'd be forgiven for making this mistake, given his request to be buried not in Parnell with his daughter, but at the summit of Mongakiki. So the position of his grave right at the base of the obelisk is therefore a bit misleading and can be seen as dominating the, sum the summit. 
So second is the idea that the obelisk represents colonization's dominance over the landscape. This view is also easy to see, given the immense size and style of the 100-foot Egyptian stone obelisk that contrasts with, and certainly in my opinion, overshadows the rolling grassy hilltop it sits upon. So finally, the obelisk has been seen as a symbol of racial harmony. For example, the Akarana Māori Association in 1938 called it a reminder that Pākehā and Māori are now a united people. It is difficult to describe the obelisk as simply a symbol of one idea. It is a really complicated monument that can and does communicate many different messages. Dictating exactly what message is intended would also always be silencing the voice of another. What is indisputable, however, is that it is an Auckland icon. So the second moment I looked at was the construction of the 39th General Hospital. This was a 1,000-bed US Army hospital located in a 70-acre spot in Cornwall Park. So for this part of the project, the photos were a really rich resource. The photo on the top there shows the slightly incongruous site of a foreign military hospital right underneath the familiar Maungakiki summit. The completed hospital was, in typical American style, very large. It contained 48 wards with offices, surgery, a dental clinic, mess halls, and kitchens. It was also extremely self-contained, to the extent it almost created a mini America in the park. So right down to bringing in their own milkshake makers, most equipment was directly imported from America, lifted up and slotted into Auckland. 62 doctors and 143 nurses were first brought over and there were little New Zealand staff employed in the day-to-day -day running of the hospital. So this American invasion, in a way, clearly caused some disruption, with many Aucklanders wanting to visit patients in the hospital. So much so, in fact, that in November 1943, civilians were actually banned from visiting patients inside. Apparently, local curiosity led to an influx of visitors that was unsustainable for a working military hospital to accommodate. So the doors to the hospital and therefore access to the park were swiftly shut. So now that all that remains of the US occupation is a flagpole. This flagpole can now be seen as a reminder of just how dramatically the use of our spaces can actually change. Even the most identifiable spaces so closely linked to Auckland are not really always ours and sometimes the use of them can be outside of our control. So the third moment I looked at was the building of the Auckland Observatory. So the story that kind of came through here was really just how unwanted an observatory in Auckland initially was. The Auckland Astronomical Society began the push for a permanent observatory in the early 1920s. But by 1960, the society had been chased out of Mount Hobson, St Andrews Reserve in Epsom, and the Auckland Domain. One disgruntled Remuera resident summed it up by saying, and I quote, we do not mind where the observatory is placed, as long as it is not here in Remuera. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, the One Tree Hill Domain Board took pity on the cause and offered a site. The observatory found its home in One Tree Hill, not because of any unique advantage, but simply because it was the last option left. This hunt for a space shows the tensions that can arise from the usage of our spaces. So one letter opposing the Mount Hobson site summed this up 
sum this up as the idea that open spaces live dangerously and must be relentlessly defended against people who want to put them to practical use. But while the One Tree Hill domain did sacrifice a section of open space for a practical purpose, another perspective is that the gains in scientific knowledge and public entertainment was worth it and actually enhanced the use of that space. In a city of Auckland size, tensions like this are always going to arise over what public spaces mean to us and how they should be used, if at all. So this idea of tension leads into the final moment I looked at, the cutting down of the pine on the summit. While throughout the 1990s, the summit was supposedly standing as a point of unity for the city, cultural politics, in particular around the Treaty of Waitangi settlements, were sowing resentment under the surface. So this was all brought to a head on October 26, 1994, when activist Mike Smith took to the lone pine tree at the summit of Mongakiki with a chainsaw. The outpouring of grief, both at this attack and the removal of the tree in October 2000, was huge. Reports from the day report talked of a funeral being held for the tree. At the scene of the removal, many people stood with tissues to wipe away tears, and in the days following, many walked up to lay flowers on the stump that one reporter stated was still oozing sap 24 hours later. An obituary for the tree was even put in the Herald, stating its death date on October 26th, aged 125 years old. So at the time, some of the comments made about the actions were extremely divisive. For example, one letter to the Herald lamenting the fact <laughs> that the tree could not have one final use as, quote, Mike Smith should have been hanged from it. <laughs> But eventually, once these high emotions had simmered down, reflections could be made on the tree and what it symbolised. For some, the highly publicised act of protest was a catalyst for learning more about Māori treaty grievances, bringing a greater understanding of the issues involved. Now, when the event returns to the media, the point is often made that his actions were a success if his aim was to provoke debate, given that we are still talking about it today. So this brings us into another moment in Maungakiki's time period, the present day. Currently, it's vested in Ngāti Whātua Authority, has an official joint Māori and English name, and instead of an English pine at the top, there is a grove of native New Zealand trees. So this is not to say that everything is solved with the planting of a few trees, but comparing the summit today to the proposed memorial at the beginning of the century, it becomes clear really how much has actually changed. So this and the four moments I've discussed before show the rich history present in one of Auckland's most iconic spaces. The history of this area reflects the way in which external events, changing social attitudes and changing political influences have shaped Auckland and its people. Now we hear from Auckland Library's oral historian Sue Berman in conversation with Isabella about her research journey. Perhaps you can just start by telling me a little bit about um, the journey into the scholarship yeah. um, and how that has been. Yeah, so um, when I first started the scholarship, I was, I had quite a clear idea of what I kind of wanted to um, talk about in the project. So I wanted to do something around activism in Auckland. So I first looked at kind of environmental activism, indigenous activism, um, the feminist movement. So. Um, I worked quite a lot with 
the University of Auckland archives, so looking into things like Greenpeace, um, Friends of the Earth, that was quite a big part at the start. Um, but then I found it was kind of harder to develop um, a project around those, so I kind of went a different direction and went down um, like with Broadsheet, so the feminist magazine. I looked at that for a while, um, that didn't really <laughs> go anywhere as well so then eventually I kind of looked into more indigenous activism and I got onto um, the One Tree Hill activism so in the 2000s with the cutting down of the pine tree and that kind of led me to the idea of doing something more broadly on Cornwall Park and Maungakiki. Mm. Yeah. So those you know um, a big part I guess of research yeah. is distilling, isn't yeah. it? Getting, and I guess, did you find that those other archives were just like overwhelmingly yeah, big? Yeah, because if I, you know, if I had, a more, had more than 12 weeks, all of those would have been really interesting, mm. great projects to do. But yeah, I thought it would be easier to distill this one into a more manageable. Did you think, oh my God, am I ever going to find Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of weeks where, because I started in about, November when I was still kind of studying for exams and as well um, so then it took about a month to really settle on um, the concrete project mm -hmm. yeah so when you settled on Mangakekia yeah um, Cornwall Park mm -hmm. where did you go to and what did you find um, so I first of all just kind of started I mean a bit of googling really yeah to kind of try and because obviously <clears throat> it's a really broad area and there's so many different directions you can go into and I found there's quite a lot of stuff written about it. Like there's um, lots of local histories already written about the area. So I kind of didn't want to repeat that. So it was really settling on, um, I picked out four moments that I thought was quite interesting. So the obelisk, the observatory, the US Army Hospital, and then the um, chopping down of the tree. So. That was kind of where I started. What a great strategy! Ones. Yeah, like sort of points of time yeah. that are significant. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so part of the objective, obviously, is working with primary resources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, did you find those easily enough? Yes. Yeah, so I looked mainly. A lot of it was at the um, Sir John Logan Campbell collection. So with the Cornwall Park Trust Board, they had digitised the entire collection, which was really great. So I spent a lot of time just going through those. Um, I had them on a memory stick, so just painstakingly going through every kind of record that they had. What kind of records are um, amongst that? It was a lot of correspondence, so a lot of letters about the obelisk, um, about people's opinions on it, whether it should have gone ahead, um, what it means to Auckland at the time, and carrying on to now. Amazing. Yeah. Mm. Um, so mainly, mainly manuscripts or letters. Yes. Um, and some photographic. Yeah. So content. then, yeah. So when I got to writing up the articles, um, it was a lot of using the Auckland Heritage images. They had some really great images of One Tree Hill and Cornwall Park, um, and also a lot of papers passed. So to get um, newspaper articles showing a different perspective. On issues, yeah. Such a great tool. Oh, yeah, really good. Research before papers passed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hardly imaginable these days. <laughs> yeah, and also the council archives, especially for the observatory, was mm. really useful. Mm. Mm -hmm. Any um, kind of revelations or <laughs> um, moments where you went, oh, how fantastic. I'm not this. sure if there were too many dramatic moments, but I mean, I found it 
some of the things, especially about the building of the obelisk, that I was quite surprised about. Um, I think especially about just because I had always seen it as, you know, it was a, supposed to be a memorial to a dying race, so I had always kind of quite, I guess, offensive. Um, and, yeah, but looking at it, there was quite a lot of Māori consultation done on it, so I kind of got a different perspective as to what it was possibly intended to be, mm. yeah, which was quite interesting. And through those four different focuses, you know, your initial interest in kind of activism, did you yeah. get to understand something of, of the dynamics of activism as um, a side kind of? Yeah, I think that came through in the last moment that I cho chose the cutting down of the tree. So I think what came out was the perspectives of it that changed quite a bit. So initially, like there was quotes calling for him to be, um, like there was some really horrible kind of things said about him. Um, and then kind of later on, changing ideas and how actually someone made the point that it kind of gave them a way in to learn about the issues that he was, so treaty settlements and the issues that he was talking about. Um, yeah, so that was quite interesting. Mm. So it is an interesting thing, isn't it? The dynamic of, you know, uh, letter writing and all yeah. those reasonable yeah. kind of <laughs> methods for mm -hmm. cr creating change. Yeah. And yeah. and that actually sometimes we need these spiky yeah, moments, exactly. don't we, to yeah. really you kind need of push really, things along. Yeah, because that really, like, it's such a, even now, it's still such an instantly recognisable event that I think really brought those issues into the forefront. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for tuning in. The Heritage Talks podcast is produced regularly for your education and enjoyment. Talk notes are found on the Talks page at soundcloud.com. All links are in the Talk notes.